When you think of St. Paul, I wonder what kind of person comes to mind. Paul, the heroic apostle, always traveling to far-flung places, risking his life, and always seeming to come out on top. Paul, the tireless evangelist, proclaiming the gospel in synagogues and marketplaces, uh, street corners, and pretty much anywhere he could get a hearing with signs and wonders, healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead. Or perhaps Paul, the brilliant teacher, contending for the faith with Jews in the hall of Tyrannus, or outsmarting the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill. Or perhaps Paul, the inspiring pastor, encouraging, rebuking, and exhorting the churches to save them from error and build them up in Christ. What would be your pick? What about Paul the afflicted, the distressed, the despairing? This Paul, it seems to me, is typically overlooked. I mean, it's not the example we want in our leaders, right? We want them to be invulnerable, omnicompetent, floating above somehow all of the troubles of life so that they can promise us that that's what it's going to be like. I wonder if that's what Paul is also wrestling with amongst some people in Corinth when he has to keep reminding them that he's not some kind of super apostle. He does not keep his suffering a secret. In fact, for him, strangely, it is a badge of his apostleship. I think that 2 Corinthians can be read as a lesson on how to deal with suffering in ministry. More than that, why spiritual leaders might even expect to suffer, and maybe even more than that, why we might actually pray, put me to suffering. Paul tells us that he had endured some terrible troubles in Asia that had left him so utterly, unbearably crushed that he despaired of life itself. It's not entirely clear what particular had happened to bring him to that point, but we can infer from so many other things perhaps the way he suffered exposure, nakedness, beatings, imprisonments, physical assault, shipwreck, betrayal, desolation, desertion, and the list could go on. But on this occasion, he says he felt as though he had received the sentence of death passed over his heart. Maybe literally somebody had threatened him with death or he was facing execution, but certainly this language is more really about a deathly fear that he is feeling within. Later in the epistle, he says that he had been harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. It strikes me that Paul is using the language of spiritual depression here. See, it starts with the fear about our circumstances and fear about our weaknesses and fear that nothing will change. And then we put ourselves under trial. 
We accuse ourselves of being unable to cope and we pronounce ourselves guilty and we pass the sentence of death. See, this is what happens when we become trapped in our fears and there seems like there is nowhere out. I wonder if you know how Paul is feeling. I can certainly identify. There have been many times in my life and ministry where I've had to bear with constant change and uncertainties about the future. I've had to bear with multiple responsibilities and unreasonable expectations. I've had to bear with stresses to my body, my soul, and my spirit, not to mention all the gossip and the slander and the evil speaking. And I'm just talking about the church. But I've known multiple overwhelmings that have left me lying in a ball on the bed, shaking, not wanting to face the day, having lost the ability to think straight, to do things, to face people. I have felt as good as dead. Have you ever felt like that? But here's what I've learned. When the power of death makes a claim on my heart, what I need is a more powerful word passed over my soul. A word that says, all will be well. All manner of things will be well. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. Paul says what we need is comfort. This is not something slight. This literally means the mighty strength of God. That's what we need. And this promise is not that our troubles will cease. They may well increase. If you're doing your ministry right, the promise is we will be strengthened mightily in them. This word comfort occurs something like 10 times in our short text. Clearly, Paul knows that we are going to need it. Wrestling with fear does not disqualify you or I from our ministry. I think if we believe Paul, we might actually dare to say that it prepares us for it. We embrace our suffering as an opportunity, he says, to not rely on ourselves, but on a God who raises the dead. What can he not do? Only a God who raises the dead. Only a God who has seen the worst happen to the best of people and overcomes it with a power that defeats the grave can say to you and me, everything will be well. Only he can do that. And being a follower of the risen Jesus, I venture to say, is about learning how to live without the fear of death. It might need exercising one fear at a time, but he can cast it out. Hadn't Paul been relying on God before now? Yeah, sure. But now it seems he was at the utter end 
of his own resources. Now it seems he was experiencing just how deep the fear of death goes, and now he had an opportunity to learn just how much deeper the power of God can go to overcome the deepest and the darkest fears of our hearts. Brothers and sisters, no amount of teaching, training, or technique will save you from the fear of death. Only learning for yourselves how to rely on a God who raises the dead. And no amount of clever words from you will enable you to offer this comfort to others unless your life becomes a demonstration of the Spirit's power to overcome fear and death. What the world needs to hear is good news from the lips of those who have stared fear and death in the face and said, you will not have my life because we have a God who raises the dead. Brothers and sisters, we do not move from Lent to Easter and breathe a sigh of relief that Jesus has suffered so we don't have to. When we get to the resurrection, I suggest we are invited to look back and feel the seriousness of Jesus when he says, if you would be my disciple, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What sense can that possibly make until we get to the resurrection and look back and can say, okay, yes, now I get it. Let it be so. I love the way that Luther teaches about this. You know, he says, if you just track the, the course of Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane through his passion to his crucifixion, and you just look at the evidence of what is done to him and of the suffering that he bears, and even the words on his own lips, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only rational conclusion you can come to is that God is nowhere to be found. It's only when we stand in that place of resurrection and look back that we can see his mighty hand has been at work all along, unfolding his purposes and working out his glory. And as it was for Jesus, so it is for you and me. Paul invites us to share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ so we might share in the mighty strength of God and abound in comfort to others. Paul talks about an overflow of comfort. What is this? It's about that knowing in our life as we have proved in our own experience this power of God to set us free from fear that enables us to speak into any place of fear that anybody else has. This is not an overflow of sympathy or even an overflow of empathy. Let that overflow, but let's be clear, you can comfort anyone in any kind of need because what they need is what you already know in your suffering, whatever it might be, that we have a God who raises the dead.
God comforts us in all kinds of trouble. It's true. But the kind of comfort that Paul has in mind is for those who suffer for following Jesus. And especially those who are pioneering his kingdom. This is not a comfort that is promised to half-hearted believers or to those who would seek tranquility in this world. Nor is it for leaders who are willing to risk nothing or look to their own strength to solve everything. This comfort is for those who are willing to stake all on our resurrecting God. And I think this is what Paul means by all God's promises being yes in Christ. Consider the promises of comfort that come through the prophet Isaiah. They begin with the words comfort, comfort my people, and they end with the promise of deliverance that God, like a mother, comforts her newborn child after the pains of labor. And think about the prophetic words of the waiting Anna and Simeon who are given the baby Jesus and lift him up and say, thanks be to God for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And now, brothers and sisters, see God raise up his son and say, death is conquered forever. My comfort is yours. Yes, my son. Yes, yes, yes. The resurrection is God's yes to the life and ministry of Jesus, yes to the suffering and death of Jesus, and yes to every faithful disciple of Jesus that shares the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. The Lord says to you and to me this morning, if you are willing to go the way of my son, you will know the working of my mighty strength. No matter what, this is my yes, says the Lord. Can I get an amen? That's what he asks. Here are three brief promises from a God who raises the dead. First, you have an unshakable hope. Through Isaiah, God promised an end to all suffering. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be no more. Yes, you knew that came in Isaiah first, right? He points out that no child, infant, newborn will be born dead and no one's life will be cut short. And this is what the, what the risen Jesus reveals to John on the island, right? But now we are told there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain anymore. You see, death is not merely restrained, it is entirely destroyed. And I want to tell you that he is coming back to finish what he started. It is not just possible. It's not even just probable. It is inevitable because God has already begun it in Jesus. When he raised him from the dead, there is the new creation, the first fruits of everything 
that history is pointing towards in him. Our hope is unshakable because we have a God who raises the dead. The resurrection of, of Jesus is God's yes to the promise of new creation because it's already arrived. So go ahead and imagine what it will be like. I can only imagine. Will I be stood before you, Jesus? Will I fall on my face? Will I be dancing? Will I be shouting hallelujahs? The answer, of course, is yes, you will. But start doing it now. Today, brothers and sisters, sing and dance and rejoice. Because we have a God who has raised the dead, the new creation is among us, and we have tasted the powers of the world to come, have we not? This is what we do when we face death in the joy of the Lord. We can say amen to God's promise of unshakable hope because one day Jesus will return. This, you see, is the secret of not losing heart the secret of patient endurance, the secret of refusing to quit or settle for the lukewarm life. Prove it to be true, I dare you. Stare the fear of death in the face today and say, you will not have my life. This is how you will overflow with comfort to the hope you have an unshakable hope and you have an unstoppable deliverer. Through Isaiah, God promised to send an anointed one to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Despair, you see, is what happens when we live under the threat of death, when our hearts are held captive to its dark power. But God delivers people from the spirit of despair through the life and the ministry of his Son. This Jesus who healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cast out demons, raised the dead, and in every possible way bound up the power of the enemy and cast it out and forced darkness to recede. This Jesus is risen. This Jesus is still delivering us from despair. And when the power of death did its worst, by nailing God the son to the cross and burying him in a tomb. When those powers had done their worst, they had killed the son of God. The father of love reached down into the grave and lifted him up and said, no, this is my son. You will not have his life and you will not have the life of any of those who are going to be in him. When the power of death did its worst, God still had the last word. Death may still try to do its worst, but it will never have the last word over us. 
Paul was constantly staring death in the face. He was imprisoned under the threat of execution, scourged with a whip and crushed with stones to an inch of his life. He was alone in the wilderness and adrift on high seas. He was in danger from rivers, robbers and riots. Maybe he's not exaggerating when he speaks about a God of all comfort who comforts all of us in any of our troubles. Can you hear the overflow of comfort that comes from his heart, our deliverer? is unstoppable because we have a God who raises the dead, present tense, raises the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is God's yes to the promise of deliverance because raising the dead is what he still does for you and for me. Paul overflows with comfort when he says he has delivered us, he will deliver us, and he always will deliver us. You see, we simply cannot lose. Live or die, we are with the Lord, and we will live forever. We can say amen to God's promise of unstoppable deliverance because the risen Jesus still casts out the spirit of despair. So prove it to be true. Stare the fear of death in the face today and say what? You will not have my life. This is how you will overflow with comfort to the despairing. Last, you have an unconquerable strength. Through Isaiah, God promised a suffering savior. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he says, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand and after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Jesus came as the light of life in a world of darkness and death and the resurrection is the final triumph of life and light in a dark and deathly world. Like Jesus himself, we have this resurrection power in clay pots, in jars of clay, hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We suffer like Jesus so that the resurrection power of God might blaze unmistakably for what it is through our weakness. The strength of God, you see, is unconquerable in us because we have a God who raises the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is God's yes to the promise that darkness and death will never snuff out the light of life that is in us. So what do we do? Take it on. Take it on. Take the darkness on. Follow Jesus. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Push back the frontiers of darkness. Bind up the enemy. Take it on. Take it on. We can say amen to the promise of unconquerable strength because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. 
If Jesus raised, is raised from the dead and his power is at work in us, we can have power over darkness and be set free from the fear of death. So brothers and sisters, prove it to be true today. Stare the fear of death in the face and say, you will not have my life because we have a God who raises the dead and this is how you will overflow with comfort to the weak. And there is a final promise in this text. For those who say amen, to the yes of God in Christ, Paul says, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The spirit of Jesus is our comforter, the bestower of mighty strength, who comforts us in our suffering and guarantees our final glory. We don't go looking for trouble, right? You don't really have to. But if you're going to live on mission with Jesus, then you better get used to learning how to stare death in the face and say, you will not have my life or anyone else's life so long as I'm in this flesh. I don't know what Jesus will ask you to do, to deliberately put yourself in harm's way for those who are lost to leave your family and cross an ocean, to plant a church on the wrong side of town, to face the strongholds of bitterness in a dying congregation, or simply to walk alongside just one who is captive to the power of darkness. I, and I don't know what it will cost you in body, soul, and spirit, but I do know that you can be anointed with a spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I do know he can give you hope no matter how bleak things may seem. I do know he can deliver you in all things. And I do know he can turn your weaknesses into his opportunities. The only question is, are you ready to live with unshakable hope in an unstoppable deliverer through his unconquerable strength. During communion, you will have an opportunity to be anointed with oil, to say amen to the yes of a God who raises the dead. I pray that that's what will be on your lips and mine. Amen.